Uh, well, it was wild, like, you know. I don't know how many thousand people were, <laughs> were here. I'd say every one of them thought it was wild except the umpire. But anyway, so look, that's what happens when you, you know, when you weigh grounds, you don't tend to get breaks. Subscribe to the OTBGAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. Football on Off the Ball. With Sky. The Premier League is back. Watch every live game for the rest of the season on Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. I'm prepared to end it I can well, do it then. Again. Do it then. What about your start to the game? I was, it wasn't bad, was it? <laughs> Why should it be an honest answer be a mistake? How can a modern day manager not have a mobile phone? Why should he? <gasps> it is the football show here at Big McCarthy with you tonight and joined by Gavin Cooney of the 42. Gav, how are you? Good, Mick. Thanks very much. Gav, this isn't the first time we've been on air together. No, it's been a while. The day, long time ago now, we were so two of three people on a GA podcast. On the so-called Weaker podcast, So, yeah. Which I, I swear to God, to this day, I think is the, the best achievement of whoever it was to come up with well, that. Well, I leaned, I leaned heavily on my Longford GA, GA contacts for a week. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and they were like, okay, figure out the rest of the episodes yourselves, boys. Um, it was I. It was it's great. Trying to around, focus on the the so called weaker counties, you know, and it was, was all yeah. it, like it was great around obviously the league, and then the GA brought in the Talisman Cup, so maybe we were on to something. Exactly, so. yeah. We were we were focusing where nobody else was at the time, and uh, yeah, now everybody's all over that sort of stuff. But our halcyon days and over at Balls.ie, but we're here now, and we've lots of football to talk about. We're yeah. going to get to like you know, I don't like didn't want to make. We were talking about this earlier. You don't want to make it like it's like oh transfer deadline. It's such an overplayed thing. We talked about it last night, but it was like the maddest transfer window of all time. Yeah, no, it Mes- was like, definitely Chelsea, January. Chelsea, I mean, in the pie chart of madness, I think Chelsea had they took had the had thing. most of it, you know, <laughs> and a little bit on uh, Guardiola letting Cancelo leave. I was kind of amazed by that. Otherwise, there was just. I think I think some clubs were defined by how much sense has broken out. Manchester United, like all of a sudden, look, yeah, look very very well run. Like it's amazing how quick our perceptions of these, uh, how these clubs are run, how those perceptions change. Like Liverpool were were a model uh, yeah. of how to follow six months ago, and United were a shambles. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, United get their uh, United basically get the management appointment right, they yeah. clear Ronaldo out, and everything is all of and a sudden looking good. They're playing well on the rosy. pitch, so therefore everybody decides that Veghorst is a really smart signing, whereas the exact same guy could have signed for them under Solskjaer yeah. or Radnick and it would have been what are they doing they're signing this donkey he doesn't know what he's doing it's like I'm, I remain unconvinced about Fedcourse but you're so right about like it just being a, um, a total perception game you know mm. but uh, yeah I still think I still think more happened than normal and we've just become almost professionally underwhelmed by yeah. it all well, it's, and yeah. so it's like I, I think it was busy and weird you know yeah. and there was a lot of strange uh, well the Hakim Ziyech thing at PSG <laughs> yeah, exactly, like, yeah. I mean he ended up doing a kind of a Saido Berahino uh, that's one for the deadline day ultras um, <laughs> but on a higher level like he ended up in Paris trying to force this move through to PSG and it didn't happen because well PSG say that Chelsea submitted the wrong paperwork so, um, submitted paperwork that wasn't signed or didn't have any information on it like, which what, is actually yeah. <laughs> if it's at that level of incompetence Confidence, <laughs> like, <laughs> like that's it. Like, it's like they couldn't sort out their fax machines. But like, I mean, that would be 
that I have to say would fit with the caricature I have of, of Todd Bowley. Of who's actually running Chelsea. Do you think Todd's actually doing it all himself? Like He's just like stressed out. There's all these I new feel, signings hang, coming into his office. Which one are you? Yeah, I feel like, and again, I could be totally wrong in this perception. I don't think, Todd Bowley doesn't strike me as a paperwork guy. He's no. more like, he's... he's more on the Trump does, side of things. Like, yeah, he's you know, signing he's, the he's, checks he's, he's, and he's, he's throwing yeah, the money. He's part of the deal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, how much do you want for Fernandez? 120. Okay. I'm going to offer you 80, 120. <laughs> the art of the deal. We'll wait till deadline day and then I'll give you 120. <laughs> Matt Doherty is the most interesting from an Irish perspective, mm. probably the most surprising as well. Uh, we talked about it a good bit with Dan last night. Uh, since then, I suppose, what we didn't know then was that it's not indeed a loan move, it's a six-month permanent move. Because speaking of incompetence of these insanely rich and well-sourced football clubs Spurs didn't know the new rules mm. seemingly yeah. that they weren't allowed to loan out more than eight players at a time and just terminate this contract with a year and a half to go it wasn't like they were just like you know some people sign for a six month loan in January when they're out of contract and they say goodbye to the club I remember Conor Heron doing it at Villa it's like this is it now I'm gone Doherty has a year and a half this contract and they're yeah. just like yeah go on it was quite jarring to see it last night it was a very abrupt end to uh, to his Spurs career when you see you know a contract cancelled by mutual consent you think it's usually a poor reflection on the player in this instance I think it's definitely a um, more of a case of a poor reflection on on the state of Spurs yeah. in capital letters um, like FIFA have new rules brought in this season where you can only have eight players out on loan uh, at any one time eight senior players so say like Troy Parrott is considered homegrown or home trained so right, he doesn't okay. count but that eight guys out on loan and the eighth guy to go out on loan was Jed Spence who was another right wing back mm. who was signed by the club he was disavowed the day he arrived by Conte so yeah and for like the club over 20 million wasn't yeah, it yeah absolutely so they sent him out on loan to Ren earlier in the afternoon and then oh hang on a minute that means Doherty's the ninth man here um, mm. and uh, eventually kind of cancelled his contract Three, I think three of those eight players are fullbacks uh, out on loan. One of them, Reggian, is already at, at already at, at Atletico Madrid. God, I so um, yeah, no, a bit of a mess. But I would, I mean, Fabio Paradici, who's the Spurs boarding director. I feel he might have been a bit distracted the last couple of weeks. He's obviously been given a 15-month ban from... or th- Sorry, a 30-month ban from Italian football by the prosecutor as part of that investigation into... Um, Juve. Alleged dodgy accounting at, at Juve. Um, and he's waiting to see if uh, if that'll be upheld uh, for global football and, and take him out of the Spurs job as well. But uh, Meanwhile, Conte's gone for... I don't know. I've seen today it could be up to eight weeks. But oh, we'll I didn't see. know. But no, he's, he's, so he had gallbladder surgery. yeah. And so he's he, he, they didn't give a time frame. It could be, I, I would imagine a month. I would say, but mm. apparently, like he's recovering from surgery. He oh, won't be there for a okay, while. Okay, that's it's more like, that's more serious. That because I only ever see these things refracted through football. So I could I could tell you like if Antonio Conte twanged the hamstring, I could tell you <laughs> how long he he'd out? be out, yeah. out, out for. I remember. Rafa Benitez once had kidney stones during an Arsenal game and I had to watch it on TV we just missed that one game <laughs> so like I just saw it through that prism and thought oh Conte might miss the weekend but he'll be back now again but, I okay, don't, there, there is no time frame it could That's be that a nightmare no, it, could, it could be that yeah. it could be just a couple of weeks but it, they didn't give a time frame and then like obviously the analysis goes around to like NHS uh, recommendations on how long you should stay out of work mm. Um, when you have your gallbladder removed and it's like eight weeks eight to ten weeks or something like that so I think nobody thinks that he's probably going to stay away that long but 
it looks like it'll be a significant period of time, which is an unbelievable nightmare. So they've got like a, a sporting director who doesn't know whether he's banned. <laughs> you've got not knowing how many loans you have. You've shipped out all your fullbacks. You've, uh, yeah. It's like your team is in free fall anyway, more or less. And the manager's unwell. And, and they're playing Man City next week. Like. <laughs> oh my God. Or this oh, week. Spurs, what a, what a nightmare. So a lot is going to, is it Christian Stellini? Is that the, is that the assistant? Yeah. But a lot is going to fall down on him. And I'm interested to see the tension between like not being able to work will drive Conte mad so I'm sure he'll be mad to get back but at the same time you know it's Tottenham <laughs> maybe I mean he's never given a, um, a convincing impression that he wants to be there so maybe he'll, I, I'm interested to see the tension between his natural inclination to get back to work and then his realisation that he would be going back to work at Tottenham and this could be this could be something that's like he's on the way out anyway and he's mm. just you know way out of Spurs <laughs> yes <laughs> it's way out of Spurs <laughs> serious these golf flatters are make <laughs> Oh my god, that took a dark turn there. Apologies. Um, what about Doherty then? Like, I mean, it's mm. not. It's definitely not a guarantee. Arthur was in the news round, like, and was very down on the idea that this was going to work out. Uh, you know, I think the, Arthur, there's a, he's, 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 he's denying that now. He's denying that now. <laughs> there's a there's a romantic in me that thinks he's going to go off and like you know set La Liga alight for this mm. kind of glamorous club that might not be on Tottenham's level at the moment in world football, but certainly would be a bigger name. And, you know, we have the renaissance of Matt Doherty. It's definitely not straightforward that that's going to happen, though. No, uh, such an interesting move and it's such a cool move. And, like, Doherty gets to work under Simeone, which will be an interesting. He's kind of doing a tour of the darker souls of football now, you know. <laughs> He's gone from Mourinho to Conte to Simeone. Like, I mean, yeah. only there's only Eddie Howe left of these, you know, <laughs> dark souls managers. Uh, Where does Nuno fit into that? <laughs> Twice. <laughs> uh, Nuno's too. I don't. Th- I don't think Nuno's a dark soul at all. I think. No. I think he's quite placid, dull soul. Um, well, it's super interesting for Doherty. Like, uh, and it's great experience in, in living and working in Madrid. Uh, he's going to find it hard, I think, to play many matches. That is the concern, isn't it? Because he's such an important player for Ireland. So Stephen Kenny will want him playing, if not regularly, at least playing more often than he might have played at Spurs. Yeah. And it's actually hard. That's no guarantee, I don't think, because Atletico are out of the cup. They're out of Europe. They've finished bottom of a very straightforward Champions League group. So they're not even in the Europa League. So all that's left are 19 league games. And, you know, he's probably been signed as a backup right back yeah. because Felipe and they're fourth and probably don't have that much you know they're like they're going to be in a battle for the Champions League by yeah. the looks of things like unless things significantly improve yeah well, that, that's, I, I would be amazed if that was uh, if their ambitions went any higher this season they've been they've been pretty poor throughout. yeah but what I mean is it won't even be comfortable enough that he's going to be like they're going to be taking chances yeah. on guys like because they do as well we haven't mentioned that they have Molina who people will remember from the World Cup mm. who's you know he might not have been the greatest right back in the world but he was uh, he's you know, he was a very good. significant player on that he Argentina is. team. And he World also, uh, he's one of the rare instances in football at the moment of a guy who played in the World Cup final and has come back in good form. You know, so many guys who played in the World Cup final are out of form, like Mbappe tonight from PSG. Had a penalty, uh, it was saved by the goalkeeper, got a retake because the keeper was a, dudge, a judge to have been half an inch off his line. Keeper then touched the next penalty onto the post, 
when Mbappe spooned the rebound over from six yards and then hurt his hamstring and had to go off after 20 minutes. So everyone is struggling after the World Cup final, bar probably... Hurt his hamstring, you say. <laughs> what date is it? <laughs> like, is it going to be... First of February. Is it going to be... What, we, we've got, what, six and a half, seven weeks until Ireland-France? That's too you long know? for a hamstring. Um, Damn it. No, I think, I think he should be fine for that game in Dublin. But uh, okay. Molina's come back in really good form. Like He's had yeah. three assists in his last four games or something. So he's really good. So be hard for Doherty to force his his way in on the right maybe a left back they've got the lad Ronaldo who's not as convincing the lad, the lad yeah. <laughs> I can't say I know too much about him but yeah maybe like I mean he did he did okay at left back I thought last yeah, year I, like, that's the other thing with Doherty like we can be down we can have these conversations I thought Doherty was doing well you know in the kind of post Mourinho Spurs mm. I thought he was unlucky not to get his place back at the start of this season because oh. he was flying before Matty Cash took his leg out from under him yeah it was such a uh, at the end of last season yeah. terrible tackle Steven yeah. Gerrard Aston Villa um, he was because the best Spurs best spell under Conte was Doherty's best spell at Spurs as well you know so he was quite synonymous with that goal with he got against whoever it was where they stretched the whole field and he came in like you know he was like a centre forward coming in mm. through the middle of the end of a Everton, break it was a great goal like, yeah. been Everton. I think he definitely scored against Everton yeah, last season in a 4 or 5 nil win on a, on a Monday night uh, so he's playing really well and that I think that injury really hurt him at Spurs, hurt, hurt him obviously in a very literal sense but it also took him out for the rest of the season he missed four Ireland games in June and it also stunted his pre-season like it, or it stymied his pre-season those kind of brutal show trials that Antonio Conte submits his players to and he was kind of you know he's behind the eight ball from there on in Conte had that quite unfair comment publicly it was just like like Doherty played every game last season I see him now he's not in the right shape I'm not stupid I don't want to lose yeah. in fairness like Doherty started three of the next four games after that um, so he has battled his way back I could never I don't think it's my green tinted glasses to say that I could never understand why he was picked uh, behind Emerson Royale. No, I, can, Emerson Royale I, can't, no. I can't understand it. Emerson yeah. Royale is no good. Like, yeah. And Doherty was better than him. But um, in fairness, with Pedro Paro arriving, he would have been scrapping with Royale for a place on the bench um, and battled Royale, I suppose, and uh, obviously <sighs> decided to get his... Uh, Get his regular game time in and go to Atletico Madrid. Hopefully, so. it is regular game time, yeah, and we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll see how it goes. And it's definitely, it, it's like, do you know what? From even just an Irish fan's point of view, it's great to be going and checking the La Liga mm. teams when they're named on a you know Saturday oh. or Sunday as well. In the way that we do with Matt, Championship Matt, and League One, let's Matt, face it, like Matt you know? Atletico Madrid. I mean, this is their they're no <laughs> official title. It's not even Matt Doherty's Atletico Madrid. You'll read that a lot. Uh, Why I'm, they I'm, announce them? By the way, would suggest that they don't see him as a as a nothing player anyway. I don't know. I mean, the they do that with everyone these days. Well, today. no, they did. They give him they gave him a big unveiling today, didn't they? Mm-hmm. But I was just the official. And look, this is probably clumsy Google Translate, but it went on the English section of Atletico's Madrid website. They did translate it. They did describe him as corpulent, <laughs> which is just what the did you mean compliment. to say? Which I assume is. Clumsy Google Transit on Atletico Madrid's part, but uh, no, look, I can't wait to see how he goes. And look, I mean, the last Irish international to play in Spain, Steve Finnan and Espanyol. I feel the bar wasn't left too high there, so I think he'll. Uh, there you go. I think that, no, that, that was the quiz question for the end of the segment, so you beat me oh, to it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ian Hart at Levante for this Espanol. section or for the no, this, just, quiz? Just, just oh, just oh, this okay. section. Well, sorry. actually, hold on. <laughs> no, none of the lads are listening to this guy. I will. I'll put that in the graphic quiz on Friday. Come here. You mentioned PSG playing. To Tonight. They have actually taken the lead there. No, no, oh, no, no, nobody of interest scored. It wasn't Messi and Mbappe's off. But uh, there's another game on tonight. And we were just talking about this during the news because the Coppa Italia is on and Roma 
are at home to Cremonese. Mm-hmm. And it was 1-0 during the news to Cremonese. It's now 2-0. Yeah. As you were saying, they haven't won a game all season. Bizarre. And this, this is like the Coppa Italia run from legend. Yeah, it's biz- very, very strange. Like, Cremonese, bottom of Serie A without winning a game. I think there's... There's two sides across the top five leagues who haven't won a game this season and Cremonese are one of them. But they beat, they, they beat Napoli on penalties in the previous round. Napoli, who are runaway, who have effectively won this yeah. Serie A title already <laughs> and look brilliant in Europe as well. Um, and now they're what? They're 2-0 up away to Roma. And I'm just looking at the Roma team here. He's rotated quite a bit, but not entirely. Well, that's I mean, that true, team yeah. should still be good enough to win uh, to be Cremonese and oh sorry, and then at half time Mourinho brought on a superstars. Well I say superstars, Dybala and Chris Smalling. <laughs> but, uh, I'm amazed by that, yeah. Yeah, well first choice anyway. So um there you go, yeah. So there's there's a story brewing in Italian football. The, f- the fact that we're going to Cremonese uh, might um, reinforce the point that it's nil nil at Old Trafford and United are three nil up. I probably should just, have mentioned uh, that by now, yeah. It's yeah. Just, I, mean, I haven't even looked up at it to be honest. It's <laughs> it's just uh, it's very a, much nil nil at Old Trafford. As we wait to see whether Sancho comes on, I suppose that's probably the, the thing to watch for tonight to see whether he makes his comeback. But Cancelo to Bayern, Gab, this is the thing you wanted to talk about. It's actually the thing I wanted to talk Mm. about because never, we talked about Matt Doherty's thing coming out of nowhere. Like, Joe Cancelo, we kind of knew he was on the outs with Pep and Pep made the comments and we knew they were about Cancelo and kind of Foden. Maybe they're going to give Foden another chance anyway. But Cancelo was like, "Ah, you might have been the best fullback in the Premier League last season, but no room for you here, bud. And we're not going to replace you. We're just going to like let an 18-year-old take his chance. I know, maybe Rico Lewis is, you know, the next great fullback, but this is a risk, isn't it? Like like he he got rid of one left back, Sinchenko, and strengthened a rival in the Premier League to the point where they now might, might miss out in the Premier League to that rival. And now he strengthened a rival in the Champions League by giving them Cancelo. Yeah. Cancelo's starting for Bayern tonight and has taken 17 minutes to set up the opening goal in that yeah. game with a brilliant uh, with a brilliant cross. Um, the only thing I'd say amazed, on that though I was, listening, by it, really. I, was, I was like if you're getting rid of Joe Cancelo mm. who are you sending him to that isn't going to be a rival in the Champions League or the Premier League like there's no one like I mean he's two like he's one of the best yeah. players in the world like he's not going to go to Al Nasser <laughs> <laughs> Give, yeah. give him six months. Send him off on loan to six months at Al Nasser. What's Man City's team in the in Melbourne? Oh yeah, <laughs> or, or, or in New York. I love like I love comparing these great managers to Ferguson because like Ferguson, in fairness, would have got rid of Cancelo. I'd say if he was actually yeah. uh, actually out in the yeah, yep, stamp. He wouldn't. Uh, he wouldn't be sending him to Bayern Munich. I don't think. Mm. Uh, he would have sent him to Ant- he wouldn't have gone much higher than Antwerp for the rest of the season. <laughs> like you know, uh, but it's very interesting. Like because. Cancelo, like they're now light at left back. Like they've got Rico Lewis as a teenager and Nathan Ake, who's centre back, really, who's playing yeah. really well, but is out of position at left yeah. back. Cancelo is was not only like what is not he's currently one of the best fullbacks in the world. He's also incredibly good for how Guardiola wants to play. He's mm. so versatile in the sense he can play right back or left back. He can do that pep thing where he tucks in and effectively plays as a midfielder. He can play as a traditional fullback and go out wide of either down either side. Yeah. You know, he could he could wallop one in from thirty yards. He's completely brilliant. But evidently he can wear number seven as a fullback and not look like an Egypt. <laughs> completely. Yeah. Matt Doherty is also wearing seven as a wing as a wing back, I think. For Ireland, or yeah. maybe ten actually. 
He's, I think he's done both. He's definitely worse. Which I like, I have to say. Mm. Uh, I don't think. <laughs> I, okay, you'll. Be, I think Diego Simeone might agree with you now. I have to say, but uh, um, so yeah, amazed by this Cancelo thing. So obviously, um, Guardiola has prized a squad harmony above so, having Cancelo available to him, yeah. which is counterintuitive, uh, and it's very interesting. And we'll see. I think it's a massive risk, and he might and it's end like, up regretting it. There's a. A lot has been made of the fact that there's a 70 million price tag on him and that's like, you know, he's going to be 29 next year. It's not like, and if they want out, that's not the worst deal in the world. But it's very important to say, this, that's an option to buy. It's not an obligation to buy. Mm. And it's like, Bayern aren't going to pay that amount. They might, you know, they might mm. uh, negotiate it down or yeah. whatever. They're not guaranteed to get that money for him either. It's very much a loan deal. Yeah. So, you know, again, it's just like, there's a part of me that admires Pep with it though. There's a part of oh, me that yeah. admires that it's like, no, not like. Could you not have talked around this guy? Could you not have got some sort of message into him? But whatever, he's just like, I'm moving on. I've all the options in the world. This season is going against us anyway. I need to do something to rescue it. Yeah. Or if that doesn't work, at least I won't have to deal with this lad. Yeah. For the rest of the year, and all- and it's also he doesn't care who he sends him to because look at like Raheem Sterling hasn't worked out, but he just sent him to Chelsea. Yeah. He sent the two boys to Arsenal. Chelsea was a bigger like potential rival at the time, but he just it just doesn't seem to enter his head that it's like it's like. We're city, we're good enough, we'll beat whoever, you know? Yeah, and quite quite probably, quite possibly, and look, maybe they won't regret it, but I think they're, they're just, they're depleted that, now. Do you think Cancelo puts um, Bayern into like proper Champions League contender? Uh, he makes them a lot better. Yeah, I they think still he have Chopin and a, like a Zimmer-framed Thomas Muller. Uh, like, Chopin-Molting, gen- genuinely, I haven't I seen much of it after the World Cup. He was one of the form strikers in the world going into the World Cup, genuinely. They've looked, yeah, we scored they, against they brought him, him into the team after the first few weeks Having kind of they played kind of a four two 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 however many mm. correct twos are there with uh, you know like Sane and Mane up front um, or Nabri and Mane up front and it didn't really work and they brought Chupamoting into the team and all of a sudden you know fixed striker around which everyone could move it did click a little bit better so he's been really good for Bayern yeah. in fairness he's been really unfairly tarnished by the fact that he played for Stoke oh massively it's, yeah. it's completely judged our, or it's completely tarnished our judgement of him all the way through his career at this yeah. stage yeah. yeah and some absolute bowlers in that Stoke team Shakiri, good player <laughs> <laughs> that's a hill on that. which I'll die yeah. even Jesse or Hesse Hesse Rodriguez you know like I mean Stoke did Ryan Shawcross <laughs> Ryan Shawcross there was some you know some continental flair at Stoke, you know. Uh, so, um, oh, sorry, I almost said Navri, but he was he was Pulis at West Brom, was he? He definitely played under Pulis as well, Serge Navri. Serge Navri did. Yeah. Oh, oh, I missed that completely. I think so. Yeah. Oh, oh I'm nearly go. sure. I don't think um, he was at Stoke anyway. Uh, I'm I'm not sure that Navri that Navri and uh, Chupamoting are are in the Bayern dressing room reminiscing about Tony Pulis these days, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think Cancelo makes them better. I also think that is it Lucas Hernandez, the French defender. Mm. He obviously got injured at the World Cup in the very first game, so yeah. they were depleted at fullback anyway. I think it's a, I think it's a great signing for for Bayern and like their big the big game of their season. Okay, things are there's a bit of a title race in the Bundesliga at the moment. The big game of their season is PSG in a couple of weeks' time, and all of a sudden. Because, you know, they were, Bayern were probably the side most damaged by the World Cup between like Masraoui is injured, Lucas Hernandez is injured, Manuel Neuer went skiing and broke his leg. Mad. Like, oh, I mean, they've got, they've got Sommer in to cover him, which is a good signing. So all of a sudden now, uh, you know, Mbappe will be in a race against time to be fit, certainly for the first leg against, uh, against Bayern. Ramos went off injured as well tonight. So um, suddenly I think they're looking in a much healthier position for that, for that tie.
Serge Gnabry played once for West Brom on loan from Arsenal so yeah. I'm actually I feel a little bit less uh, <laughs> like a fraud for not knowing that I missed that game I missed match of the day that week <laughs> but <laughs> uh, well according to Wikipedia anyway he could have played 100 games for all I know <laughs> uh, so that's Cancelo to Bayern mad stuff like sorry just for, lastly on it right do you think City like you're saying you're surprised by it and kind of a bit blown away by it do you think it's brave, like, but there's a part of me that thinks that's exactly what you should do if you're resourced in the way City are. Mm. Like, I don't think Liverpool could do that because, you know, who are you going to replace? You're going to you have to drop money for it next year. And, you know, and it's just like you might not get a player like that. If City can kind of have anyone they want in a mm. way, you know. I, I don't know. It's just doing it mid-season. No, I know. It's almost, so sacri- it's almost like taking a risk Strengthening direct rivals. Like, I mean, you know, like yeah. the, the chat in the last couple of weeks has been, did he make a big error in strengthening um, Arsenal? Like, he, he also did kind of Victor Frankenstein, uh, Victor Frankenstein style create Arsenal's manager yeah. <laughs> as the system. Yeah. But I suppose that that's a separate thing as well. But I, I have to, you know, brave is, you know, brave is often like the, the first line of someone's obituary as well or political obituary as well you know it was in the yes minister sense the word oh it was yes minister it was a very brave decision to make um, Did Frank, I don't know I was Frankenstein's of, monster ever under under uh, I don't, underrated was what I was going to say but that doesn't really make any sense but was kind of uh, not uh, fully appreciated by after he was created because that's I think that that's where Arteta has won the war with Pep in that he pretended to be kind of like a poor mouth. I'm really struggling to hold out to my job here, Pep. But it's <laughs> like, you know, we, we go back so long. It's like, can you just give me Jesus and Zinchenko well, there? It's like, you don't really want them anyway. And, you know, Jesus, we might, God, it'd be great if we could scrape into the Champions League. God, if we'd have two of us would be there in the Champions League together as opposed to like, oh, he's planning a it's a great over here. It's a great bait and switch. <laughs> Arteta was under pressure. Like, we were talking about this on the 42 podcast last week with with Shane Keegan, who was the Dundalk manager at the time that they met Arsenal in the Europa League. And, you know, I think, I can't remember, I was I imagine I was at the game in the Aviv and I it finished 4-2 to Arsenal. I think maybe Arsenal scored a couple of goals early and then Dundalk came back into the game and Arteta had to send on the cavalry to kind of see it out like he was under massive pressure then and I remember doing the Zoom press conference and like he was talking you know whatever trust the process and his very methodical mechanical way of talking and there were like sniggers from mm. you know English journalists on yeah. the on the call at certain things and I was thinking this guy is finished so how he's turned it around is is amazing helped obviously by you know getting Jesus and Zinchenko from um, from his old boss yeah but you know what like the moves they've made in January, we weren't going to talk about them, but just like quickly, even like Jorginho, and I, said, I don't know how good that is, but it's a, it's a low risk thing. It's not mm. it's not very expensive. It adds an extra, very experienced body and like very like a lot of quality as well. You add like someone like Trossard. You make those like kind of three signings, kind of mid level. It's like sort of, sort of, you know, maybe we weren't going to go mad this January, but actually we're probably we're in a really good position to win the title here. We just need a little bit more depth. It was mm. like. You know, I talk about like perception about Manchester United and like smart moves. I thought Arsenal had like an unbelievable savvy January. Yeah. The disappointment, obviously, for them was missing out on Mudrick. Yeah, sure, I know. Yeah, but that's crazy. kind of almost against their. Yeah. Like, you know, there's nothing they could really do about that. You know, but Todd, Todd Bowley saw their transfer list and then <laughs> obviously was going to. I'm oh, sorry, that's a good United. Manchester United. Um, Anthony Martial. Uh, the um, obviously Todd Bowley <laughs> saw their transfer list and was just like, "Well, that's mine now." <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, like I think I think it's pretty good. The Jorginho one done really quick, you know, yeah. as well. Jorginho, nobody's seen coming as well. Like that's always such a good sign as well that they're not like the Jorginho one. Is, he's presumably there to provide cover for Partey because like. 
if Arsenal can aff- like the the player Arsenal can least afford to get injured this season, I think is Partey. I think he's mm. vital for them. So good that they got some cover in. He I, could probably play with Partey if Jacko wasn't there. I as well, probably could. Like, he, you know, yeah, he, he probably could. It's a different. It's a different setup, but I think they could. He's probably, a lot. Yeah. is a lot less athletic than Partey. I think so. Partey could push up a bit as well. Though, yeah, you know? I think I don't know. I think he's been the outstanding player in that like sixth position, um, and he's been so important for Arsenal this season. Like he missed. The only game they've lost this season at Old, was at Old Trafford. Partey missed that game, and you know mm. they were um, United side through Arsenal on the counter attack, right through the middle of the field on a couple of occasions. So uh, he would be a big miss. So Jorginho's an interesting one. He's a lot less athletic, obviously, than Partey. So I, in my head, I'm kind of struggling to see how he fits, how he would replace him very easily. But you know, he, Jorginho went to Chelsea after a significant interest from City when Arteta was at City. So obviously, yeah, he was involved in scouting him pretty. Yeah pretty extensively so he knows he knows what he's buying there Okay uh, as mentioned United got 1-0 up uh, Marshall scoring Rashford in for not the first time in the second half actually and it was a block shot that rebounded towards Marshall to put it away so it's 1-0 to United on the night 4-0 in aggregate they're going to Wembley to face Newcastle an interesting Carabao Cup final actually United and Newcastle Yeah uh, some people might say the trophy that, droughts I know some people might say that the uh, that the ownership of Newcastle takes away somewhat from their fairy tale journey back to Wembley and, uh, but I have to tell you Mick I'm one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I find it very hard to get on board what with the... What about Eric Hag's fairy tale story? Uh, it's just yeah. like a, the, the, depends if you're a United fan or not, but in some ways, the battle of the bad guys, yeah. Um, we're going to take a break. We're going to be back and talk about Enzo Fernandez, Chelsea, lots more as well um, to get to with Gavin Cooney of the 42, who's with us. The football show, of course, is brought to you by Sky. Watch every live Premier League game this season on Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. Football on Off The Ball With Sky All the football you love in one place Across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports It's 5-0 to United on Aggregate And they've made it worthwhile watching this draws for the entire evening uh, Well Bruno Fernandes in particular did Gav Because a sexy cross Outside of the boot, cross field to the byline for I, d- I think Rashford, it was Rashford it was. Yeah, yeah. who then just passed it across the goal First to Fred cross, yeah. uh, half yard out managed to bundle the ball over the line uh, um, Fernandez's cross again outside of the foot from the corner of the box right was one of those ones that had so much kind of like spin and movement on it and was inch perfect that Nottingham Forest defender Serge Aurier was made to look a clown. <laughs> just, he he did not know where the ball was going. It was just one of those awful things where you completely lose um, sense of where you are, perhaps who you are. Uh, and this outrageous pass dropping out of the sky. Look, maybe he was blinded by the floodlights or something, but gorgeous. Cancelo style, I have to say, outside yeah. of the uh, oh, cross beautiful. from uh, Oh yeah, from I didn't know whether to Absolutely go forwards class. back or whether to jump and stop and ended up just sort of stumbling along, the, like without getting his feet off the ground yeah. at all. It his, was his ultimate choice out. of action, not effective. <laughs> No, absolutely not. Okay. So United, as we already mentioned, are going to Wembley to face Newcastle in the prestigious Carabao Cup. Uh, as we get to a team who aren't... Uh, aren't uh, to, they've, they've won that cup a few times, I suppose, is what I was going to say there. I was looking for my notes there, Gav, I'll be honest with you. Uh, Chelsea signed a ridiculous amount of players and the latest being Enzo Fernandez, 106.8 British pounds, which is a British record, obviously surpassing the 100 million paid for Jack Grealish, 120 million, obviously, in euros, which was Benfica's release clause that they mm. held out for until the very, very last minute. So this guy, I was saying earlier in the newsroom, right? He's 22. He 
was the type of player in the World Cup that was impressing enough that you're like, why he should be playing. You know, when you're watching every Argentina team, you're thinking like every Argentina game, you're like, this guy is good. he should be in there, he's good enough. But at the same time, even though he won young player of the tournament and all that, he didn't exactly like stick out to me in so much that I thought he was going to be the British record signing that he was going mm. to go to one of the big clubs and take over for this insane, obscene amount of money. Like, yeah, he was like, oh, he's one to watch. Good player. So I'll react to the World Cup <laughs> and we'll move on. Todd, uh, Todd Bowley, though, is operating on a higher plane of knowledge to the rest of us. You know, uh, some of us have these ideas of valuations of players um, and are able seemingly to identify players independently. Todd Bowley does neither. He uh, he takes a look. He, he, he reads the BBC gossip column every morning and he's just like, this guy looks interesting. I'll drop 120 million on this guy. Uh, Listener, that's, I'm sure that's not quite how it works out. But it's oh. certainly a perception of how it might. Uh, Fernandez, look, I I saw him with the World Cup. I thought he was great. Yeah, he I think was. Like, he's got know, a bit of everything. Him. He could be brilliant. Like, he's you know, got a bit yeah. of everything to his game. Like, you try and, like, what kind of midfielder is he? Um, just because he's kind of small, I thought maybe he's like Xavi, which is completely wrong with me. Uh, but he can do everything, you know? So he could be absolutely brilliant. Yeah. But... I'd love to know what Chelsea fans think of this. Like, I'd love if Chelsea fans could text in. Bowling say, Chelsea fans were here all night. <laughs> we'll, we'll get Jason Cundy on for you. Um, but it was just like, you take, um, are they excited or are they a little bit nervous? Because top of, like what they're doing is so reckless. Like, is it reckless? Maybe that's too far. It's such a gamble. Yeah. Like the, so, uh, Fernandez has been signed to this contract till 2031. You know, Mudrick is signed an eight and a half year deal. And the whole thing is, this allows us to write off the transfer fee across those years so we'll sneak it on, in under FFP rules. Yeah. Fine. But what if it doesn't work out? I mean, in eight years' time, you could still, technically, it might not happen given players move on and there's, mm. there's always ways, you know, um, arrangements are come to. But technically, they could end up paying these guys until they're 2031 even if they're doing nothing you yeah. know? and this is the club of Winston Bogart you know this is like yeah. this is the cautionary tale of I was actually going to say Seth Johnson but you found the Chelsea example yeah, this is the which cautionary is like, tale yeah. of stuff so it's such a massive risk they obviously think it's it's worthwhile the spending is nuts Chelsea have spent more in this window than the other four big leagues in Europe combined Yeah, it's just it's crazy and the it doesn't seem to be stopping anytime soon so maybe it'll work out but I actually I think it's a massive risk and I like so it's the Graham Potter now I know he called this a very difficult job and then you know people will counter well look at all the money you're being given and all the players you're being given but it is so difficult like yeah I kind of agree with you there I've got rid of Cancelo for dressing room harmony whereas every day that Potter goes to work there's another international standard footballer being stockpiled at his feet figure that out Graham like he's going to have to leave international standard players out of his Premier League squad, like not not match day squad, like registered squad with the league. Same with the Champions League. Like how are you meant to, how are you meant to run that dressing room? I have absolutely no idea. No, I think I think it's a very fair thing. Like I mean, it is that thing where you don't you don't weep for the the super rich and their privilege and everything like that. But like it doesn't make their problems any less. You know, it's he, like Potter has a I think as impossible a job as he had when. You know, all their players were injured, and they need to, and they needed to make these signs. Oh, they're. Way, I mean, they don't look like they're 
I'd be I'd be surprised if they got into the Champions League. Like on oh, paper, stage, you're thinking down. like, oh yeah. wow, like a team with Mudrick one side, you know, Sterling on the other side, Felix up front, Fernandez in midfield. You're thinking that could be amazing, but you know, it, these things See, can I'm take. Not, I'm even wondering like time. how much football thought has gone into these in terms of like the team. It feels like they've bought a load of individuals. Now maybe that's maybe you could be simplistic and just like you know. It, it looks mad so therefore it is mad and we're not seeing the big picture but how much was Potter involved in this and it's like it does feel like they're asset collecting a little well, bit but you know? it's all, it's I like, mean we, we've, they're, they're already moving on from stuff that they've done in the summer like Aubameyang was signed yeah. and then presumably because he worked with Tuchel then they sacked Tuchel a few days later I know, I know. and now they've got Felix and just like well he can play instead of Aubameyang like we don't need him so that wouldn't tell you much for the long term strategic vision of Todd Bowley and the other thing like I don't get any of that. Okay, I could be completely wrong. I don't understand what he's doing, like, and what the investors are doing. Because this is like, so they bought the club, they've pledged, what was it, four and a half billion between buying the club and a certain level of investment Mm. after they bought it from Abramovich. So they're investing in this thing, thinking we can make money out of this. At the same time, Liverpool's investors are pulling out mm. Man United's owners are pulling out they evidently see yeah two bigger clubs are for sale yeah and I mean, it's like if they want to flip Chelsea and that's not an expression of like existential law I'm going to you know pick up croquet instead they're thinking we're not going to make any more money out of this yeah you can also do it without dropping 400 million euro in a transfer window yeah like you know uh, you know I, I again what is the end game here because how are they like what's that is that the keep is that the guarantee Champions League qualification and that be the be all and end all that Chelsea have to be a Champions League club? I don't know. I don't think it. I don't think it's going to do it. I don't think that's in for in like obviously the richest clubs will always have the most success, or the you know yeah. the clubs who spend the most money will always have the most success. But it doesn't necessarily happen each time. No, you know I what just, I mean. And this, I don't understand where Bowley's going to see any return on this investment. And yeah. look, I'm not going to. I'm not Todd Bowley's accountant. Like, I'm not particularly worried <laughs> if he if he runs out of a load of money. But it's just like, what's going on? There is a future of the club. I think if you're thinking of it as a Chelsea fan, like, I mean, I it's funny. It feels like the dream mm. going out and spending 400 million in a transfer window and just having this like unlimited. Feels kind of jo- it was feels kind, kind of a joyless two, to me. It's to a bit honest. 2003 as well, yeah. though, isn't it? Like, you know, for for Chelsea because. I'm looking at this now and I'd be thinking, I'm just worried this is all going to collapse under us. Yeah. And we're going to be left with what? You know, leads yeah. by times a thousand, you know? like You know, like all these guys in massive contracts, like how, like if things don't work out, if Chelsea, for example, don't get into the Champions League in five years' time, which, you know, that could happen given how fiercely competitive it is to get in there. And they've got Mudrick and Enzo Fernandez with three and a half, four years left in their contract. They'll want Champions League football, but like, how are you, how are you going to get any money back for them? Yeah. And then you're caught between, well, we either kind of sell them for a cut price now or else we continue paying these wages for four years. Yeah. Like, it's such a risk. And ah, there is a piece, because I've always been kind of interested in like, like, what is this man's deal? I don't understand what Who he what is, his deal yeah. is like. Yeah. And there was a piece in the there was a piece in the Financial Times last year about him and like a backgrounder to him, and they were basically saying like this is a this is a good investment. He effectively sees this as a media and technology investment. So th- this is like you own your own intellectual property and your own rights, and you can sell it. But you don't really because no. the Premier League the the clubs don't the clubs in England don't do what Barcelona and Madrid do and sell their own TV rights to their own matches. Yeah. They sell it collectively. So maybe Bowley is like, well, a future will come where Amazon Prime or Netflix will want to buy all the Chelsea games and will make loads of money out of that. That 
long term that might not work because the reason the Premier League is so successful is because they sell all the rights together. It's made the league itself very competitive whereas like Barcelona Madrid now mm. are trying to confect a Super League because they've been trapped uh, in their own initial greed of like we'll hog all the money but then like who's going to tune in to watch Real Madrid against Elche? Nobody. Yeah. Yeah and look also don't forget that like it's all very well to be the cold hard businessman and talk about assets. People get absolutely seduced by yeah. sport and football and Todd Bowley making himself like temporary director of football and all of these things. You know what I mean? Like it's like you get into this sort of like throwing your checkbook around mm. for bravado and machismo and as so, much as anything else. Not necessarily yeah. saying that's the case here, but it looks like that from the outside. Yeah. And it's just the, the one other thing it's kind of a bit of a top of the head right now, but like the one other thing that's kind of struck me about the Chelsea thing is like I've obviously been reading loads about how the how are they going to get by FFP and this is how they're going to do it oh this and is one is eight and a half year yeah that's so. one thing and then the other thing is to sell academy products because you can book them their transfer fee straight away and that's pure profit but that's like okay accountancy brilliant trick like on a human level leaves a very sour taste in the mouth because it just goes to show that academies are not really there now to prepare players for your first team yeah. they're there to fund your first team so like do, like, don't look at a, at a super club's academy as a collection of young talents. It's a portfolio of assets to yeah, be sold yeah. to fund others. And then you know, there's a big piece there with Irish football. Like you know, we're sending sending our most talent. We've been spe- sending for we, for years. We've been sending our young talents at 16 to these mm. places. Yeah. So obviously, we're now forced to keep them until 18. It's after, It is an imperative that Irish football continues to fund itself to the point. Or that, like where that route is no longer necessary at all, even at eighteen. Yeah. But that's a long way away. No, no, well put though. But even even in the meantime, when it's not, you want people like Evan Ferguson making smart decisions on where they go to like Brighton. Yeah. We talked about this and last night. Brighton over Liverpool, Liverpool yeah. was such a smart choice in so many different ways, but also, you know, an academy that's for an academy's sake rather than as you're saying, I think Liverpool is probably a more in between Yeah. You know, they're probably the best of the big teams in terms of trying it, but at the same time, uh making smart decisions like that is what we want. Speaking of Liverpool, and we haven't spoken about Liverpool no. at all really. Well, no one was speaking about them on deadline day. Yeah. We've got about five minutes here and we won't get to Everton. We'll have to talk about Fra- formerly Frank Lampard's Everton next week. But that's it. Like they they got Gakpo and funny enough they're quiet their quiet January coincides with like a calamitous run of form. Yeah. Like beyond recognition. Like, I mean, we knew that they were having one of those seasons like they did two years ago. But the way it's gone in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Now they're now they're even getting all the centre backs injured. Like that was what <laughs> that was what precipitated the collapse last year. Now it's just another added little twist of the knife. Yeah. yeah, yeah. As such like you know, it's a it's a great team that has basically gone on for too long. You know, not to, mm. I'm not gonna cause flame and don't fear and talk about a great team in decline, etc. <laughs> but actually I am gonna do that. It's completely like and it's just they're they're really suffering from the lack of investment in midfield I mean you know Liverpool fans were obviously up in arms online that they haven't signed anyone on deadline day well they signed Arthur Mello on deadline day the last yeah, time yeah, an absolute right. disaster of a deal um, so look they're all there I mean presumably Jurgen Klopp has spent each day of this January transfer window going home and just caressing a framed picture of Jude Bellingham and just like soon <laughs> soon but like that not, the might not work they out fall, like, why the less likely there? Jude Bellingham is to go to Liverpool I know, like, yeah, I mean, what so. would he be doing like you know at this stage I mean I know there's still the lore of Klopp and of certain players there and of Liverpool itself but like Bellingham's next move can't be a 
to a team that finished eighth in the Premier League last I don't, season. Uh, I don't think so. Unless he knew for a fact that that was a once-off and to be back challenging for the Premier League and the Champions League. But we actually don't know that. Like the, the Liverpool are going to be so interesting now over the next little while because Klopp has been is the best manager you know of my lifetime that there's been at Liverpool and yeah. probably I've definitely you know since say Kenny Dalglish in the seventies or eighties. And I actually think you could go further back because he built it well. That, this is where I'm going to contradict myself. Kenny Dalglish, late eighties, early nineties. By the way, he was he was playing back 90s, then. Sorry, he's player manager, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah. uh, he was in Cla- the seventies. So it's going to be so interesting to see if Klopp can rebuild the team. And the other, but the big question mark is that he's, of the architects of that team, he's one of the few people that's still there. Because what worked at Liverpool was, you know, Michael Edwards and, you know, the Ian Graham and the kind of, you know, the physicists, the theoretical physicists or whatever that they had making these decisions. Like everything worked because that group of people worked and clicked brilliantly. Yeah. And it worked because Klopp didn't actually have too much power. Like, I mean, I remember Melissa Reddy wrote a book after Liverpool won the league and talked about how Klopp wanted to sign Julian Brandt and Michael Edwards, the old sporting director, convinced him, no, this guy Mohamed Salah is a better bet and he eventually convinced him to go with Salah over Julian Brandt. Wow. Like, Liverpool would not have won what they had won had they signed Brandt over Salah. So it is interesting to see now if they can get the recruitment, get that, because the recruitment was hit after hit after hit. Like, they were, like, everything was right for years, but it only takes a couple of wrong decisions for them to fall away. Yeah. Um, and even, they're they're even on a the, high wire because of they have just less money than, than the rest. But they're also making, like, strange decisions. So as much as, like, they tried Mellow or whatever, and they, ha- they haven't had to... Why are they, like, even if even if Nunes eventually works out, Gakpo eventually works out, you've still got Jota and yeah. Diaz to come back and they in. they all play and on the left. They're addicted <laughs> to signing these left-sided but attackers. It's a strange, strange thing that they've... Like, no, that, that doesn't make any sense. To a team that was so well-run and that has done so well to be in the position they're in, and you're talking about it being a blip, but it's hard to think if it's a blip when they just keep signing the same player. It's and so strange. Not. And, like... Tiago, I'm thinking Tiago is the last permanent midfielder that they signed, you know. And before that, it's Naby Keita. It's just they, they've 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 probably they have been too loyal to the to the older guys yeah. like Henderson and Miller. You could have predicted their physical dwindling. The Fabinho thing is baffling. Like he's only 29, but his his leg is his An legs old are gone. You know? yeah. Oh my yeah, god! Absolutely. Um, so, but yeah, I'm a little bit too loyal to, to those players. But Liverpool, the rebuilding of Liverpool is no guarantee. It's going to be so interesting to see if, if Klopp can do it. I know. Gav, that was brilliant. Uh, we didn't get to talk about formerly Frank Lampard's and now Sean Dyche's Everton. Yeah. Sean Dyche's Everton doesn't roll off the tongue quite as well, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how they get on. And we will talk about them again. You'll be in with us soon. And uh, we didn't get to talk about the assassination of Evan Ferguson by the coward Fabinho. Yeah. But uh, I know. Well, luckily, it doesn't seem like it's too bad. Doesn't seem. Yeah, David Snade reporting for us tonight that it seems like he might actually be fit in time for France. Wow. You know? Okay, that's. Good news, I didn't see that. Uh, good man, David. Uh, okay, Gavin Cooney of the 42, thanks so much for joining us. Football on Off the Ball with Sky, proud partner and supporter of the Republic of Ireland women's national football team. This is News Talk.